RTHK. Big banks. The impossible takes two days and miracles take three. Where well, you've got so many different departments and divisions. Shaping investors' expectations. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotrahora. Global stocks tumbled as Greek fears mount. That includes Hong Kong and China. Equity futures are mixed following the Greece route and S&P lowers its sovereign rating on Greece from CCC to CCC minus. Hong Kong stocks dropped to their lowest level in three months as investors reacted to negative developments in Greece, as well as a slump in mainland markets. Shares on the mainland closed heavily despite a surprised interest rate cut during the weekend. The S&P 500 index slid the most since April 2014 and raised its gain and has, excuse me, erased its gain since January, while European shares suffered their worst day this year over concerns on that Greece might actually exit the euro. More on the markets and what's happening with Chinese stocks with ANZ's Raymond Young. After that, Ian Wise, Ivan Au will share their report published yesterday on the latest findings on human capital. And our last guest this morning is David Halley from Capstone Financial, and he'll tell us more about the investment-linked assurance schemes. Connie Bolland is back in the chair as guest host. Good morning, Connie. Good morning, Renita. Connie, there's just one question that everyone is asking. Will Greece default today? I think it is you know, quite, quite obvious that um, you know, they don't have money and so you know, they will default. But whether they will be called default, it's another thing. Because if they don't pay the IMF, um, the, they will put, be put in a sort of in arrears category. So <laughs> it's a matter of terms. So what does that actually mean? You know, what's the difference between defaulting, being in arrears? I mean, the fact is that they can't pay the money back. And how is that then going to affect what they need to pay back to the ECB? Well, I think when you be put in the in arrears category, the credit rating agencies will also not put you into um, significant downgrades and it will be put on a watch list. And the other thing is, uh, it is likely that Greece may... Um, print some form of money to repay the debt in the meantime. So it's a situation which is quite uh, sticky, but because there is a referendum uh, this weekend, there may be some sort of um, wait-and-see attitude there and may may enable Greece to buy some time. Uh, It all depends what the the results of the uh, poll this, uh, this Sunday is. So is it fair to say then that today is not the day that the rubber hits the road, that uh, the true test will actually be the outcome of the referendum? Uh, I believe so. Okay. Well, Greece's banks uh, remain closed as the country restricts the flow of money out of the country in a move that will likely deepen the indebted nation's recession and risk, driving it towards an exit from the euro. European lenders have stepped up pressure on Greece to re-engage, saying that it's up to the government to retreat from the brink and stay in the currency union. 
The S&P has cut Greece's credit rating and says that the probability of the country leaving the union is now 50%. But Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras says that the that Europe won't dare kick Greece out of the euro because the cost to the 19-nation bloc, you know, of Greece leaving the euro would be enormous. Connie, do you agree with Mr. Tsipras's rather bold statement? I think that may be in his calculation all along that he believed uh, that it won't be cut out of the eurozone. Uh, if it is the case, then um, it's just more the geopolitics and the political concerns that will be on the minds of the European leaders rather than the economic concerns. Because um, Greece does have a very important strategic locations within the euro zone and European continent. So um, especially with um, the situation in Russia, in Ukraine, and maybe extended to Estonia, that kind of uh, scenario will be on the minds of the European leaders. All stocks were in the red. The Dow fell nearly 350 points or 1.9 percent, while the S&P 500 lost 2.1 percent and the Nasdaq tumbled 2.4 percent. European stocks also suffered their biggest drop in eight months with Germany's DAX and France's CACRON each uh, falling 3.5 percent, while major bourses in Spain and Italy fell more than 4.5 percent. The stock market in Greece was closed, but the FTSE Greece uh, 20 ETF, which is a U.S.-based proxy for Greece equities, fell 19%. Meanwhile, so-called safe haven assets like U.S. treasuries, German bonds, and gold rallied. And here in Asia, the Nikkei was down almost 3%, along with the Shanghai Composite down 3.3% and the Hang Seng down 2.6% as well. Greylock uh, Capital Management President Hans Humes has a hedge fund that owns Greek debt. Here's his view. It's not been a pleasant day to own any Greek assets, uh, but I, from what I'm hearing on the ground, that the economic problems, the inability to get cash, there's rumors now that they're going to drop the maximum amount that you can withdraw from an ATM to 20 euros. My sense is that would probably drive the yes vote up. Hmm. So, you know, if that happens, let's see where it goes from there. GAM's investment director, Paul McNamara, says that Greece has not been fully priced into stocks. I don't think it's, it's especially a U.S. issue. I mean, the knock-ons from Greece to the rest of Euroland um, and onto the States are, you know, it's desperately uncertain like everything else here. I mean, I think when you've got, um, say, Italian bonds only traded off a point or so today on the back of this news, the same with the rest of the European periphery, I think you've got to work on the basis that it's a long way from being priced in yet. But everybody doesn't agree. Wharton School of Business professor Jeremy Siegel says that Greece doesn't keep him up at night. This is devastating for Greece and the Greek people. Uh, closing the banks, restricting the markets. Uh, my, my feeling is that right now they would vote yes, I'd rather accept these rules of the European Union rather than have a free fall for the markets and the economy. So I actually we could get a good result out of out of this uh, crisis that we we see in Greece today. 
IHS Global says that the impact of a Greek exit from the Eurozone with significant contagion effects would also hurt Asia, lowering GDP growth in the Asia-Pacific region by 0.3% in 2016. This is mainly due to the impact effects on trade and turbulence in financial markets. We'll discuss this in more detail with IHS global economist Rajiv Biswas Thursday morning on Money for Nothing, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, let's bring in Raymond Young, who is a senior economist at ANZ. Good morning, Raymond. Morning. So, Raymond, the Shanghai Composite tumbled 3.3%, which means it's now down 22% from its peak. Can you elaborate? <laughs> I think it's a market reaction, and a lot of people... Uh, had already warned that the um, rally of the stock market in the past few months had uh, basically very little fundamental support. So uh, simply boosted by the uh, massive liquidity create through the margin loan uh, in China. So uh, I think this obviously, you know, uh, in a high sign that uh, uh, in future the stock market has to be behaving in a more rational way. Uh, but Back to the economic fundamental, basically what we're seeing is that the domestic economies continue to be very sluggish and um, uh, corporates and companies are not making profit. So I think what's the uh, right things for the policymakers to do is to boost the economy through either the fiscal policy and the monetary policy instead of trying to encourage people to dump the money into the stock market. Indeed, uh, Raymond, when you say it's a market reaction, the question is a market reaction to what? I mean, surely not to Greece. Uh, as, as you mentioned, you know, monetary policy is very much part of, uh, you know, what should be stimulating the markets here. And uh, this is coming, this latest uh, drop in stocks is coming right after loosening. I think uh, in, in over the past two, three weeks time, a uh, number of uh, uh, observers and, and, and banks started to uh, warn about the uh, massive amount of uh, margin loan and uh, already called for, uh, you know, um, to, to, to be vigilant to uh, any um, reversal of the trend. So uh, to some extent, um, the crashes that started last week uh, was a response to some of these um, uh, warning. So uh, also, you know, bear in mind that every um, the end of June, uh, every year is the uh, half yearly ending. And the liquidity conditions uh, seems to be tighter. So any um, uh, big amount of liquidity withdrawal from the market will trigger um, a re- reversal of the overall trend because of the high leverage uh, nature of the stock market. So this type of volatility uh, very often happen in the Chinese stock market. Now, of course, uh, I, I do not think that the reaction is to the Greeks' problem, but at the same time, the domestic um, uh, structure of the stock market is already, um, um, you know, uh, already that caused this type of uh, reversal of the trend. And uh, so that in future, I think even the policymakers, including the CSRC and, and some of the policymakers, have to uh, fix some of the uh, uh, you know, strange structure of the uh, local stock market in order to prevent another massive liquid uh, volatilities that happened um, similar to in the similar fashion as last week. Connie, well, Raymond, um, this tumble came uh, amid uh, interest rate cuts and also relaxation of reserve ratio last weekend. Uh, so, do you 
share some of the the commentators' uh, view that it may be the beginning of the end of the bull market in China. Uh, to be honest, I, I'm not a stock market analyst, so I can't I can't um, assess the market from a technical basis whether 22% representing um, a turning from a bull market to a bear market. But uh, what I know is uh, that the PBOC uh, interest rate cut last weekend uh, was a timely response to the sluggish economic fundamental, and I think the uh, economies um, as reflect in many indicators, including the the, uh, uh, the PMI, uh, was not very good. It was actually very disappointing. That's been uh, below 50, the threshold, um, for many months. So it seems that... Uh, what the PBOC and uh, policymakers need to do is to boost the economy instead of engineer uh, some of the, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the stock market rally without any uh, fundamental support. Uh, in the meantime, um, what the, uh, the the rate cuts was a, a right thing to do, and the selective reserve requirement ratio that point to uh, the agricultural sector and the SME sectors uh, will have some effect to lower the borrowing costs facing the corporate in those uh, sectors. So uh, we still believe that uh, given the inflation rate in China is still very low, there should be another interest rate cut uh, into this quarter and also uh, possibly another uh, reserve requirement ratio cut uh, across the board uh, for another 100 basis point before the end of this year. So more cuts on the horizon, sure. Now, Bank of America strategist David Sui has pointed to a laundry list of measures that China might deploy to actually face the route. Now, some of them include uh, halting IPOs, encouraging insurers to buy shares, easing access to margin financing, reducing stamp duties on stock trades or cutting lending rates, you know, to name a few. But he says uh, something interesting. He says that none of these measures are likely to spark a sustained rally because margin traders are now unwinding a record buildup of leveraged debts. Do you agree? Um, I I do not think that the uh, policymakers uh, are cooking up something in order to reverse the tumble uh, that we saw over the past few days. I, I do not think this is the right motive or the motive behind uh, different type of reform. Uh, but any form of reform that makes the market more efficient uh, should be the right thing to do. And uh, I think the overall aim is to, uh, uh, for the, uh, the overall headline strategy for China is to increase the weight of this equities market in the whole financial sector as opposed to previously over the past few decades been so bank biased. So um, the equities market will continue to be uh, a uh, the key pillar for um, the corporates to come back to the stock market and raise funds instead of simply relying on banks lending as in the past few decades. So the, what the government needs to do is not to frozen or to freeze the IPO but to uh, resume the IPO in order to allow corporates to raise funds uh, in the equities market. So I do not think that uh, um, the government will react to that by uh, freezing the IPO. Well, of course, you know, from a strategic point of view, asking the IPO as it to stop uh, may help the, the, the corporates to find out a better timing to raise more funds. So uh, I, I, I don't think that the, the white knights needs to come up, you know, through this type of measure at the moment. 
moment, but some of the big institutional investors, if they see the current valuation is good enough, then they may enter the market. Sure, that makes sense. All right, Raymond, thank you so much for your contribution this morning. Raymond Young is the Senior Economist for Greater China at ANZ. Well, uh, let's take a quick look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is up three-tenths of a percent this morning to 20,181. Australia's ASX 200 index is down 0.06% to 5,413. And Seoul's Kospi also down a quarter of a percent to 2,055. In currencies, the euro is currently worth 1.12 U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is trading at 122.68 yen. And one pound sterling is valued at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 19 cents and one U.S. dollar and 57 cents. Well, we'll be back to talk more about salary versus work-life balance. That's right after this. You might not notice it. Electricity is all around us, powering our lives, driving our economy. How can we ensure a safe, reliable, affordable and environmentally friendly electricity supply? How can we prepare for the future development of our electricity market? The current scheme of control agreements will expire in 2018. The government is consulting the public on the future development of the electricity market until 30th of June. Details can be found on the Environment Bureau's website. Share your views with us. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. The time is now 8.20 a.m. and CPA Australia has just released a 2015 Hong Kong Human Capital Survey. One of the key findings shows that employees in Hong Kong prefer salary over work-life balance. Let's bring in the Divisional Deputy President for Greater China, Ivan Ao. Good morning, Ivan. Good morning. So, Ivan, did your survey look specifically at these two factors or was there anything else that you measured beyond salary and work-life balance? Yes, there are a couple of things I'd like to highlight. Um, we To go to the views of the professional accountants on human capital issues affecting businesses in Hong Kong, CPA Australia has conducted a survey between 29th May to uh, 15th June. And um, I'd like to highlight three points. And the first point being um, salary over work-life balance. Um, we found that more than one-third of respondents stated that salary is the most important consideration when looking for a new role. This is up from 27% last year. This is followed by work-life balance, which is 27% and was ranked first in the last year's survey. When asked about the most important factors uh, contributing to employee retention, uh, 41% respondents uh, rank attractive salary and compensation as the most important factor. Then uh, the second most selected factor is work-life balance, which is 17, 17%. Now, does one really have to come at the cost of the other? Is it not possible to achieve both? Yes, uh, I think uh, the trend in, in recent years has been more focused on work-life balance, and um, this is also consistent with our the findings in our survey. Um, uh, when, when asked about uh, the working hours, the percentage of people working over 61 hours has declined uh, to 24 uh, compared to last year. Uh, 60% of respondents currently work between 41 to 50 hours each week has increased. Uh, from last year. So so it's been skewed more towards less hours. So I guess um, 
the the the, the trend in 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 this survey has shown that um, there has been an improvement in work life balance, which uh, may therefore um, giving rise to higher um, demand on on salary over work life balance. So there's been an improvement in work life balance, yet you know, given a choice, people still prefer to go for the cash, i.e., the salary. Connie, what do you think of that? Well, I guess this is more uh, a, a Hong Kong mentality, and uh, I wonder whether uh, there is any sort of a comparison between uh, Hong Kong and other Asian countries and uh, European countries or um, the American countries, because, uh, because I don't know whether um, culture has a, has a sort of a, a factor in this. And the other thing is age group. Um, will younger workers now being educated abroad, a lot of them, uh, would have actually uh, got a different uh, mentality towards work-life balance than the older workers? What do you think? Uh, I think our survey uh, covered different age group and um, and and different uh, uh, different industry. Uh, although mainly on the accounting and finance industry being the the majority, mm-hmm. um, uh, I think the the other points I think uh, I like to highlight is. Uh, the, the, um, we, we also survey about the admission scheme for the second generation of Ch- uh, Chinese Hong Kong permanent residents, um, which, which, uh, which is uh, really about bringing in um, people from, from overseas, uh, second generation. And um, th- there's an interesting result here. Uh, that's majority of our of people who we, who we surveyed, um, they uh, have strong support on the uh, on this scheme. Um, they believe that it will increase the Hong Kong competitiveness in the long term, and um, uh, I think. Uh, but I think this is where we also recommend um, the government um, per- perhaps could liberalize the scheme by including a second generation of other Hong Kong permanent residents and p- possibly eliminate the language requirements um, and perhaps to promote the, the benefits of this scheme in support of the Hong Kong economic development. All right, Ivan, thank you so much okay. uh, for joining us this morning. That's Ivan Au, and he is the Divisional Deputy President for Greater China for CPA Australia. Well, the Hong Kong Office of the Commissioner of Insurance has banned insurance companies from paying indemnified commissions to their sales force since the 1st of January this year. Insurance agents sold 7,556 investment-linked assurance schemes in the first quarter, and that's a 42% drop if you compare with the same period last year. We're joined now by Wealth Manager Capstone Financial's Managing Director, David Halley. Good morning, David. Good morning. David, uh, you know, legislator Sin Chen Kai said on RTHK earlier on uh, that uh, he would like the government to establish an independent insurance authority and introduce a statutory licensing regime for insurance intermediaries to replace the current self-regulatory regime. Can you explain to our listeners what exactly the problems are? Well, it's pretty much that there's a confusing setup in Hong Kong for insurance. If you look at um, the number of regulators involved, and um, very confusing for consumers, you'd have, like myself, we have um, self-regulated organizations like the CIB or PIBA, regulate agents. Insurance companies are regulated by another entity. You've got the Office of Commissioner of Insurance. And then, obviously, you have the SFC who cover investment, and they come and look at all the literature you provide. And then 
on an overarching looking at the, the bank side of things, you've got HKMA cover the bankers and tellers and people like an HSBC you would meet software insurance. So mm. as a consumer, you, you sit in a situation where it's very hard to understand how you're protected and if you have any problems, who to speak to. And I think that, that's been the biggest issue, I think, in, in this scenario. And it's a very sensible idea from LegCo to at least bring, make one insurance, overarching insurance authority. Potentially, there needs to be more linkage between the, you know, the, the SFC, the HKMA, and the insurance authority. Potentially, this will allow that to happen. I think. So, an investment-linked assurance scheme. What is that? Is it an insurance product or is it an investment product? <laughs> yeah, there's been, been a lot of contention over this one. Um, basically, there's been, you know, there's um, historically there's one percent insurance on these things, and you, you're getting an investment vehicle as such. Um, the SFC would say that potentially it's primarily for insurance because your, your, your intention is a long-term contract, which is linked to insurance. Um, you know, and obviously, it, it's, a, it's a very contentious thing. You, 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 most people are looking for some sort of growth in the underlying funds in these investments. So um, who is the watchdog then? Are these actually regulated by the SFC? They're not. Um, and there was a very clear um, circular put out in about 2009 which went over the, the sort of the regulatory issues involved, um, and it's been quite clear since then that even if you're advising in funds within Isla's products, you don't need an SFC license, and it's under the you know the CIB or PIBA or whoever else who regulates you. And have there been any situations where you know people have been misled or you know uh, have had negative impacts? Well, there's apparently been one and a half million of these products sold in Hong Kong. So there's obviously going to be problems in any industry which sells one and a half million products. Um, and and, that, and that's that's the problem. You'll hear more about the people who have issues. I think any any product which has a long contract, say 20, 25 years, there's always going to be people changing minds after a very short period of time, and that's natural. And I think the biggest issues regards to this is the length of contracts and the sort of lack of transparency and fees. And that's where the, the problems come from. So you mean in terms of breaking the contract before it is due? Exactly. So you're meant to take these contracts out and continue them for the duration you decide at the start. But that could be, you know, arguably the case with any kind of contract on any kind of product, be it an insurance product and, or an investment product, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I completely agree. I think you, you can't really have investments or insurance in such a long-term contract. And investors typically, you know, they're, they're, they come to advisors because they're seeking something they don't understand. And I think to, to lock yourself into a long-term contract to that situation is a very dangerous, dangerous thing to do, which is why this year the Insurance Authority have banned commissions to an extent. And um, the problem now is, is sort of diminishing, at least it's not being added to. I think, you, you, as you said earlier on, the, the number of sales have fallen by 50% approximately. And I think it will keep dropping and as, as wealth managers like ourselves move into an SFC world where we, we don't have any contracts and we just have a pure service-based approach. All right, David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's David Halley, and he is the Managing Director at Capstone Financial. We're almost uh, at the end of the show, so let's take a quick look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is up three-tenths of a percent to 20,173. Australia's ASX 200 index down 0.13% to 5,409. And Seoul's Kospi up 0.13% to 
2063. Gold currently stands at $1,178.50 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $61.99. Well, Connie, we have uh, eyes on the Greek referendum at the end of the week, uh, the weekend, and uh, of course on Shanghai stocks and the volatility that ensues. What else should we be looking at this week in the financial markets? Well, don't forget uh, in the US, they have jobs data coming out. So things like jobless claims and new job creation in the non-farm sector, as well as uh, some ISM index in the manufacturing sector, which can measure uh, the the way the economy is going. So I think that will um, um, form part of the assessment of the Federal Reserve um, in the rate cut uh, in the rate hike decisions. So much more to look out for. Then, big thanks to Connie Bolland, who is the founder and chief economist at Hong Kong Economic Research Analysis, and our regular Tuesday morning guest host on Money for Nothing. And I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora, wrapping up for this morning's edition. Let's uh, take a quick look at the weather forecast for today. It'll be mainly fine and very hot. The temperature right now is 30 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 81%. Time for the half-hour news summary with Samantha Butler. The Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras has said a strong vote against the bailout in Sunday's referendum will give Greece a solid base for future negotiations with Brussels. He was speaking on the eve of Greece's probable default on its IMF debt, as Radio Australia's Mary Girin reports. As thousands gathered outside Greece's parliament in support of the government, the Prime Minister spoke in a nationally televised interview to say the referendum will be the basis of future negotiations with Europe and a strong no vote is needed to establish a strong bargaining position. He dismissed fears a no vote will lead to a Grexit inevitably 